I'm Dan Fermat, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Tuesday, April 13th. U.S. inflation is up, the SPAC surge is down, and we're focused on America's decision to suspend the use of J&J's coronavirus vaccine. Earlier this morning, the FDA and CDC recommended an immediate halt to the use of Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine, which has gone to nearly 7 million Americans already due to six women developing a rare blood clotting disorder within two weeks of being jabbed. The warning was almost immediately heeded by state regulators and executives at pharmacy chains like CVS and Walgreens, with social media filling up with frustrated tales of canceled appointments. Here's what we know. First, the six women were young. Between the ages of 18 and 48, at least one of them in Nebraska has died. Health officials didn't disclose any health links between the women, such as pre-existing conditions or medications. Two, to reemphasize, so far we only know of six cases, which literally works out to less than one in a million. So if you got the J&J vaccine, don't panic. But do call your doctor if you begin experiencing severe headaches, leg or abdominal pain, or shortness of breath. Three, Today's news will slow down America's vaccination process, with the severity of that slowdown based on how long J&J doses remain offline. That'll be particularly true for harder-to-reach populations for whom J&J's one-shot vaccine was viewed as more practical than the two-dosers from Moderna and Pfizer. And it is also likely to have a greater impact on slowing down the rollout in places like Europe. Four, today's news does not impact the Moderna or Pfizer shots, which to date have represented the vast majority of U.S. vaccinations. Moreover, the U.S. government has contracted to buy enough Moderna and Pfizer doses to vaccinate all U.S. adults eventually. Now, here are the things we don't know. First, how long the J&J pause will last. Public health officials today say they expect it to be only a few days, but gave no real explanation as to why. Two, What relationship, if any, there are between these blood clots and those found in people who took the AstraZeneca vaccine, which hasn't yet been approved for U.S. use? Three, how this news will impact vaccine hesitancy, even if J&J soon gets a clean bill of health. And that matters in light of rising COVID caseloads from both the so-called wild virus and the variants. The bottom line here is that President Biden is still on track to hit his 200 million doses in 100 days goal. But this news clearly complicates the long-term rollout. So today we want to talk about all of this with Dr. Julie Morita, Executive Vice President for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the former Commissioner of Public Health in Chicago, and a one-time member of the CDC's Advisory Committee for Immunization. She is also a member of President Biden's COVID-19 Advisory Committee. We're pleased to be joined now by Dr. Julie Morita. And before continuing, Dr. Morita is an executive vice president at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And that Johnson is the same Johnson that's in J&J. But the foundation is managed independently from Johnson & Johnson. And although the foundation does own stock, they are separate entities. So, Dr. Today, we learned of six cases of blood clots reported in those who got the J&J vaccine. Is this appropriate caution being displayed by public health officials, or is this an overabundance of caution? I am completely supportive of this approach. What this does is it really reveals the transparency that this administration has and is demonstrating regarding what's happening with this vaccination program. 
Number one, we have a system, a very strong system for monitoring and detecting adverse events. And so that though there's been about 7 million doses of vaccines, as soon as the J&J vaccines that were administered, we can see that there's six of these events have occurred and immediately there's a call to pause on other, other vaccinations so that we can actually understand what this actually means. There are uh, health risks to lots of things that the FDA has approved. You know, if you ever watch a medication ad on TV, death is often one of them. Why do you think it's appropriate to pause vaccinations, given the the public health value of, of getting more people vaccinated with such a low number of known cases? So those those cautions or those warnings that we see in the FDA labels are based on data. We know what the risk is. And at this point, that needs to be determined. And so the reason that the FDA and the CDC decided to pause on this right now is number one, so that healthcare providers who are caring for patients who might think that they have a side effect or an adverse event like a clot from the J&J vaccine know how to manage this. Number two, that we can actually increase surveillance and understand how many people have been affected because we know of six, there might be more. And so really pausing to understand how many there are out there. And then the other thing is really to delve into what are the problems. Let the CDC, the ACIP, which is the advisory committee, look at the data, understand is there a cause, is there, and is it a cause and effect relationship or not? So it is really important to do this kind of pause in this situation and to do it publicly so that people are aware of what's happening. Are there parallels you see between what we learned today about the J&J vaccine and what we've been learning or at least hearing about the AstraZeneca vaccine? These are similar vaccines. They both rely on adenoviruses, and so there are similarities, and the types of problems that have emerged are similar as well. And so there, it is important for there to be coordination between what's happening in the EMA and also in the FDA so that we are aware of how we're looking at these kinds of problems overall. Do you feel that we are going to move toward a point in terms of public perception, at least, that mRNA vaccines, at least for COVID-19, are safer? I think it's a really important question and point to make that because there's this pause on the J&J vaccine does not mean that there's anything wrong with the other vaccines. We know that Moderna and Pfizer vaccines have been administered and the vast majority of vaccines that have been administered have been these mRNA vaccines. And we're not seeing safety signals that require us to pause with these vaccines. So people should remain confident and comfortable in getting those vaccines while we're pausing on J&J to determine what is the risk and, and do we need to stop the vaccinations or can we continue? The CDC and FDA today said that they expect expect this pause will only be for a matter of days. If J&J vaccines go back online, is there or should there be a, a concern that there's going to be lots of people who are already maybe on the fence about getting a vaccine at all who are now going to say, well, I'm, if I'm going to get one, I'm going to wait to get Moderna or Pfizer because those are the ones there haven't been any problems with. I think the key thing will be what we hear from the ACIP. When the ACIP or the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices that advises CDC looks at the data, understands what we know about this. Is there a risk at a particular group? Is it everyone who has equal risk? And then we compare that to the risk of the disease, COVID disease. There'll be, there may be a recommendation that's different than what was recommended for everyone to get it. And so I think it's really important to look at that and see what is being recommended based on the science and the evidence that are available. So the general public should pause and understand what are the data, what are the scientists saying, what are these review committees saying, so that they can make an informed decision overall. But the key thing from my perspective is we know that the currently available vaccines are safe and effective and people should get those vaccines. And when ACIP and CDC and FDA make their recommendations about the J&J &J vaccine moving forward, the people educate themselves and learn about this. And then it's also behooves the government to make sure that the information that's necessary for people to make informed decisions is available. 
two things we know about the uh, phase three clinical trials pre-FDA approval of, of all of these vaccines so far, including J&Js, is that they were done faster than usual, but with the uh, still a very, very large sample size, in part because we had so much COVID in the country, we, we could unfortunately do that. Does what we've learned today, is this something that should have been caught, for lack of a better term, in the clinical trials? Or does it make sense that, that you could get FDA approval and this would come after? The key thing to keep in mind is what was faster about this process was the development of the vaccines themselves. That That's where, because of incredible resources that were pumped into the system and incredible cooperation and collaboration between science and academia, the government, manufacturers, everybody was working together to get these products to be made. The trials themselves include tens of thousands of people, 40,000 people in most of the trials. That's a, that's the normal kind of number or sample size that we see in these kinds of studies, um, and even higher than in some other studies. And so the fact that these um, adverse events were picked up after millions and millions of doses have been administered. That's what happens with these kinds of products. We look at tens of thousands of people and some of the rare side effects don't emerge. But when you start vaccinating millions, that's when you see the side effects emerge. Can you help me understand the, the announcement today that this issue of a quote, just a few days, the expectation the pause would last just a few days. If if public health officials don't yet necessarily know what the common link is, either in terms of medications or health conditions, et cetera, of these women, and, and the expectation that some more cases will probably come to them, how can they know it will only be a matter of days? Why didn't they say the pause is just indefinite? I think what they'll say is that the CDC will is convening this group on an emergency basis. They typically meet only three or four times a year, but they're saying because of this, we're going to convene this group on an emergency basis, and they will then take a look at all the data that are available. The other po point was really to make sure the people, the clinicians had time to actually understand how they should be treating people and evaluating people who have concerns about having the clots. So that was really important as well. And then also to be able to identify, are there other cases that have occurred that were not reported through the usual processes? So this this kind of timing allows for there to be a full, more comprehensive assessment, but also puts a pause on, um, on, on, a, on a vaccine that there's some questions about. So I think it's totally appropriate to do that. And there'll be some kind of determination in the next few days. I don't know if it will be a complete recommendation. It may be a continued pause. It may be resumption of the program, but with a smaller subset of people who can get the vaccine. That remains unclear. I'll be tuning into the ACIP meeting, which is publicly available tomorrow to really hear what happens. So you'll be listening to the ACIP meeting, uh, but most Americans obviously won't. And, and so, you know, we, we've had these surveys that have come out, the, the percentage of Americans that aren't going to get a vaccine under any circumstance prior to today. And then this larger number of people who are hesitant and want to get one, but are going to wait a while to get one. Do you believe today's news is going to, if not increase that vaccine hesitancy group, at least make them a little bit firmer in their hesitancy? There's potential for that to happen, but I don't, I, I'm hopeful that that doesn't happen because what I have is really good confidence, high, high levels of confidence in, in the mRNA vaccines that are available right now. And I also have confidence in the processes being used to evaluate the J&J &J vaccines. And so if they're the current vaccines that are available, people should get those vaccines. We have had, we have vaccinated, 120 million people have been vaccinated with these uh, vaccines and 95% of them have the Moderna and the Pfizer products, which we know are safe and effective. People should get those vaccines. They should not wait. And it's on us to really communicate and, and with the people to, and a, answer their questions, address their concerns. And the same goes for J&J &J vaccine. If that vaccine is resumed, it's on us healthcare providers, the government, public health entities to really get the right information into their hands so they can make an informed decision.
if the CDC and FDA do reverse their decision in a couple of days or they narrow it and say, you know, this is only for women of a certain age who have a certain health condition or taking medication or whatever, how should everyone else view this story and what the public health officials have done today? The way that this is being handled by the CDC, by the FDA, is the way that vaccine uh, adverse events should be handled. It's worked in the past with other vaccines like the rotavirus vaccine, which was a vaccine that uh, was halted after there were some adverse events that were detected after it was rolled out to the public. This is the kind of response that we want to see, a very public, a very transparent process so that people can have confidence in the vaccines that are licensed and available. When we put a pause like this, it should be a reminder to the public that there is a system in place for detecting adverse events and there are systems in, in place to make sure that what is available to people is safe and effective. Is there anything that you wish the public knew that you think is largely missing from kind of the broader narrative right now? What's happening right now in response to the adverse events that were detected by the J&J vaccine is a reflection of a system that is working and working well. The federal vaccine was made available in unprecedented times. The clinical trials that were very strong and robust showed a vaccine was safe and effective. But we know that rare adverse events can be detected when you roll the vaccine out into millions. And the key thing when you do that is having a system to detect when these rare adverse events occur, and that's exactly what's happening. And then the other thing is that having a process in place to actually stop or pause while you're investigating and truly understanding, is there a cause and effect? These are the kinds of things that need to be in place and should make people more confident in the vaccines that are available to us. Dr. Julie Morita, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is another White House announcement that has nothing to do with the pandemic. President Biden is expected to announce plans to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by September 11th, 2021 which is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Now, this is later than the May 1st deadline set by President Trump before he left office, though it never seemed particularly likely that Biden would meet that mark. The big caveat here, of course, is that there is no particular reason to believe that many of the factors that have kept the U.S. in Afghanistan for two decades, such as the fear of a totally failed state if we leave, will be resolved by this September. So for now, Biden's announcement is both hopeful and kicking the can down the road. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Sangani, and Alex Sugiara. Have a great national Scrabble Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.